You're listening to Pastor Mike Griner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Where the Feet Fall, recorded on April 29, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Hey, welcome to Harvest Community Church. My name is Mike. If you're a guest, you might want to know that. If you're here with me, you're in Catanning, Pennsylvania, if you needed to know. Um, But you could be sitting here listening to me in Freeport, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Pennsylvania, uh, or you could be in uh, Petrolia Valley, or you might, unfortunately, be in jail. But no matter where you are, you can be free in Christ, and I'm happy you're here. This is our third of our four sermons on our next initiative, which is a two-year initiative, which we've talked a lot about. If you've missed the last two weeks, you're going, oh man, what is he talking about? We have videos online. You can go look for them. You can pull over your nearest campus pastor and get more details. But really, we're trying to figure out what's the next thing for us to do, in a sense. What's the next ground God will take us? Will we move forward? You know, I was thinking, we... uh, there's a, there's a book by Dickens um, called The Tale of Two Cities, and it begins with some of the most famous opening lines in a book. Like, you may never have heard it, read the book, but you know the opening lines. Some of you could probably say it before I say it, and if you're in this room, go ahead and let me see. It was, it was like a chorus in here. A lot of you are more literary than I thought. Um, not that I thought you weren't literary. That didn't come out right. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and that was right around the French Revolution, the American Revolution, and, um, and Dickens was commenting on what a strange time of change he lived in. Well, I think um, those words are more true today. It is the best of times that we live in, and it is the worst of times. It's a time of amazing wonders. Did you guys know that with seven billion people on the earth, we are at a time of all-time percentage low of starvation. Do you know that? It's the best of times. There is more food produced on the earth than ever, and there's more wealth distributed. There's there's less poverty on the earth now than has ever been percentage-wise. But on the other hand, 56 million children a year are killed in a womb. Um, So abortion is rampant the world over. Um, it's It's a strange time where where we have the internet and and we can talk to people all over the world and see people all over the world, enjoy sporting events from all over the world, do business all over the world, preach the gospel through the internet all over the world, but also more people are sexually abused through the internet all over the world. And and, uh, we live in a time of of great safety and a time of great crime. it's just an odd time to be alive. Um, as Americans, uh, and as Christian Americans, it's especially strange. It's really, really strange to be a Christian today. Um, it it, it uh, probably won't be long till preaching the Bible straight, especially on issues of sexuality, will be considered hate speech. And some may even be put in jail, perhaps me. Perhaps I'll have a jail ministry uh, from the inside, <laughs> full time, just strange. But still, it's a country with lots of opportunity. It's it's a time when a lot of people look forward with fear, um, which I don't think is good. Yeah, I think you should always have hope. But I do think it's important as Christians 
that we can see ourselves in the context of our times. If, if all of life is a great big story, and it is, and God is the writer, uh, we need to see where we are. What's our part in the play? I want to assure all of you that the Bible would tell you you were made for such a time as this, just as Esther was told by her uncle. You were made for now. God did not make a mistake when you were conceived, when you were. He didn't make a mistake that you were born now. Those of you who are young and thinking about having babies, don't be afraid. Have them. Uh, Don't be afraid for their future because they were made for such a time as they are coming in. And uh, not only that, you are not throwaway people. God has a purpose and a plan for you. What we want to do is figure out what that is. We want to do it collectively as a people and each of us as hopefully as an individual. So hopefully today's message will help by going back in time 4,000 years. Um, uh, yes, that should help, going back in time. History is good for us. Moses led the people out of Egypt. That's where we're going. Um, the people he led were a, were a couple million people uh, Hebrews uh, would later become known as Jews, um, more popularly. They would later become known as the people who inhabited this, the nation of Israel, but they'd never been to Israel yet, so they weren't known as that. They were called Israel because that was their great-grandfather's name. They were mostly just called Hebrews, and they were slaves in Egypt. And God had made a promise to their father 400 years before that I will bring your children into the promised land. So Moses came, and you may know the story. He went to the most powerful man on earth and said, you're the most powerful man on earth, but God is more powerful than you. Let his people go. Let God's people go. And um, Pharaoh said, no, not letting them go. They're my labor force. And he, so God bugged him and bugged him and bugged him. And he used Real bugs. (laughs) It's not my joke, but it's still funny to me. And he also used scabs and boils and uh, darkness and eventually actually the taking of the firstborn son. And then finally Pharaoh said, okay, your God is pestering me. He didn't seem to fear God, but the pain was too great. He said, get rid of these people. So the people left, and all the Egyptians were happy they were going. They gave them their gold and said, get out. And so here come the Hebrews, newly freed, saying, with gold, on the run. And there's, let's get out of here. And they, they take off, and then they come to the, to the sea. And there they are at the sea. And they're like, well, what do we do now, Moses? And Moses says, we've got to go over that sea. And they're like, How? And uh, so Moses has a crisis of leadership at that moment. The people are kind of rebelling. And to make matters worse, Pharaoh sat back and thought, why did I let them go for? I mean, I'm alive and I still need a workforce. And he says to his army, go out and get those uh, slaves and bring them back. And an army is, is pretty much a, they can take a bunch of slaves. It's not really a fair fight. The army's going to win that one. And so there's Moses with the people saying, how are we going to get across? And here comes the army. So they are literally between the devil and the deep blue sea at that moment. And then God says, Moses, I got this. He puts his stick up in the air, Moses does, and the the sea parts, and all the people cross on dry land while God keeps the Pharaoh's army at bay. The people get across. 
God allows the Pharaoh's army to come in. They go rushing through, and the water goes, and the horse and rider are drowned in the sea. And Moses brought God's people, not yet to the promised land, but out of Egypt. And he would lead them for 40 years in the desert. It shouldn't have taken 40 years to get from where they were to the promised land. It wasn't that far. But they were a disobedient people, and God was not going to let them go into the land as long as they were disobedient. Took God said, I'll take 40 years and kill off all the faithless ones, and he did. And then when that 40 years was up, it's Moses, it's time to go in the land. Moses says, great, let's do this. God says, not you. What do you mean, not me? I've put up with these people for 40 years, and they're difficult people. And now you've cleaned out all the, the, the bad ones. <laughs> now now you got a, I got a great bunch of folks here. Let me take them into the promised land. God's like, nope but I'll let you see it. And so Moses was taken up on a mountain. He got to see the promised land, and then he died, and God took care of his bones. We don't even know what he did with them. Angels handled them. That's why, by the way, if you ever, uh, the night before Martin Luther King Jr. was die, died, he, he referenced this. And if you're familiar with that speech, uh, the reason it's powerful is because he was leading his people. And, and he stood and said, uh, I might die. He said, I may not get there with you, but I have seen the promised land. And the next day he was shot almost prophetically. And he's calling back on Moses because Moses paid his dues and didn't go to the promised land. So there are the people ready to go to the promised land. They have no leader. God says to Moses before he goes, I'm going to have Joshua take over for you. Now I want us to imagine what it would be like to be Joshua. You're following in the shoes of the of, of the guy everybody trusted for 40 years, even those who didn't like him, because he could do miracles from God. You don't mess with Moses. Joshua is probably an insecure about this. He's probably asking, can I do this? Will these people follow me? I'm not Moses. Will God bless my efforts? I'm not Moses. I'm not used to raising sticks up and God do magic through them. And the reason I think he was a bit insecure is because God visited him at that time and spoke to him in a way you would speak to someone who needed to be encouraged or invigorated. And that's our text for today. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to try to see how it applies to us 4,000 years later. Joshua 1, 1 to 9. So if you have your personal electronic devices open, or your Bible in paper... Because it is an amazing time. You can have the Bible. Some of you have tattoos all over you. Perhaps you have Joshua 9 somewhere on your body. You could lift up your sock and begin to read it now. Wherever you have Joshua 9, 1 to 9, or 1, 1 to 9, here we go. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. (laughs) It's awesome. The Lord talks to Joshua. Um... I'd be like, Lord, could you talk to the people for me? (laughs) Just tell them, follow me. But he's talking to Joshua. And he says, Moses, my servant is dead. You saw him go on the mountain. You didn't see what happened, but he's dead. Inside baseball from God. Now, arise, go over this Jordan, that's a river, you and all this people into the land I'm giving them. I'm giving it to the people of Israel. Every place, verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, 
I have given it to you. Just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down in the sun, shall be your territory. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong. Be courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law, which would be for us the first five books of the Bible, that's all the Bible that was written, shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a great encouragement these words must have been. You can see three times he told him be strong and courageous. He keeps assuring him I am with you. This this is going to work Josh. Perk up boy. (laughs) Now we're going to have a lot of war. We're going to go into new places. You're going to have to lead a lot of people. I got this so you got this. That's the pep talk right. At Harvest, we are coming into a new season of ministry. After 20 years, we are now, I, we have to call ourselves a grown-up church. I think we've, we've passed adolescence. We have all our systems in place. <laughs> now what? Now what? The, the next initiative aims to unify us in supplying our mission, but it also requires us to move out, to take new land, if you will. With that in mind, us poised to take new land, and Joshua poised to take new land, what lesson can we learn from God's instructions to Joshua? And this is for our community groups, our maps. You don't have to go to a community group to fill out the map. Now we're going to start right now with lessons from God's instructions to Joshua. Um, We must go with the authority of God. Remember, in the New Testament, the Bible says that God wrote of what happened in the Old Testament so that we would learn. What can we learn from what God said to Joshua? Well, first, we've got to learn that you can't do anything without God's authority to do it. His permission. God said, Joshua, I'm giving you the land. Look again to verse 2 and 3. I'll read it again to you. Ready? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan River, you and all this people, to the land I am giving them, to the people of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you, just like I promised to Moses. Wherever you go, it's yours. Well, there's going to be some people who think it's theirs. It's not theirs. Okay. (laughs) You see, Joshua is not a thief. He's not going into the promised land where he is going to face a bunch of other tribes who have a claim that this is their land. We were here first. No, because God owns the earth. 
And because of the sin of that people has reached a level where God has said it's time for them to go. And because God has promised it to them, God says it's not their land anymore. Now it's yours. It really doesn't matter if they have a title or a deed, does it? Well, this is my land. I have a deed. (laughs) Well, I have God. Okay. (laughs) Hunters, uh, sometimes you could find, man, this would be a great place to hunt. Look at all this land. Look at, all, look at all these valleys and, and hills and trees. And this is and just acre after acre and no one's on it. And then you see all these signs that say, no trespassing, no hunting, posted. Well, guess what? You can't hunt there. Unless the owner says, you, you can do it. Then you can. You have the authority to be there. God gave Joshua the authority To go hunting? Let's not stick with that metaphor. But to go and take over that land. Well, if if we're Harvest Community Church, and we are, if we're a church in, in, in the 21st century doing what God says, we shouldn't do anything unless we have the authority of God. You don't want to you don't want to do anything without God's permission. But you don't want to sit still and do nothing. So what do you do? Have we, have we heard, maybe some of you are saying, Pastor Mike, this is your time to be a little bit more charismatic, a little more in touch with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you can tell us that what God said. He said, take Cleveland. <laughs> it's an awful place, fix it. No, I haven't heard any words from God like that. So if you're looking for that authority, I don't have it. I'm not Joshua I I haven't heard a special thing like that. But you and I have authority. Let me remind you of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus rose from the dead, was about to ascend into heaven after 40 days on the earth. And those 40 days on the earth, he didn't, He didn't spend it with everybody. He wasn't open like he was before. He spent, he visited over 500 people, but they were all people who believed in him. And he spent a lot of time with the 12 apostles, and there were only 11 left. (laughs) And when it was time to go, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean? Jesus is God. There's one God in three persons, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. If you look in the Bible, there's three persons who have the attributes of God, but there is only one God. We call that the Trinity. One God, three persons. Jesus is God. He therefore has authority over all the earth. So why does it say he speaks as if he just received that authority when he got up from the grave? The answer is because he did. Because not only is he God, he's also man. He has authority as God to do as he wishes. He came down and became a man. He beat the grave. He conquered the sins of the world. And he conquered Satan. And now the earth is his. And whenever he chooses, he will set up his kingdom. And evil will not be here. It's all his now. He has the deed as a man as well of as God. So in his humanity, he's saying, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go to all nations. 
You, you had authority, Joshua, 2,000 years before Jesus said this, to go into one nation and drive out the tribes and take it. One nation. That's it. Jesus says, things have changed. I'm giving my followers authority to go to any nation. Wherever people are, it's yours now. Go. Make disciples. Baptizing them. Baptizing is the entrance right. Which, which implies you've preached to them the good news of Jesus Christ. What's that good news? That you are not saved by your own goodness, but the goodness of God himself. He substituted his holy and only perfect son for you so that you can be forgiven doing nothing but trusting him. All your sins can be taken away. And there's an appeal that goes with that truth that, that we should make. So you say to people, change your mind. Leave your love of this world and your justification of yourself behind. Admit you're a sinner and follow God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And if someone says, yes, I'll do that, baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for they are now with God. But then once they're baptized... You teach them to observe all I've commanded you. It's an ongoing life of discipleship. And behold, I'm with you. So Jesus has been given authority over the whole earth. Have you received Christ as Savior? Most of the people here have, but I don't want to leave you out. He died for your sins. Change your mind. Leave behind this world and your sin. Where can we go? Where do we have the authority to go? We actually have the authority to go to Cleveland or Columbus or Elderton or State College or Altoona. We have the authority to go anywhere in the earth. Now, there's only so many of us at Harvest. We can only go so many places. I say we don't all just go one person per place or the church is dissolved. <laughs> Maybe that's a strategy we should try. People say, well, in some places you want to go, some countries and stuff, it's against the law. They won't let you there. They don't want you there. It's not against, oh, it's against some man's law, but God owns that country. In Iran, they don't kill you. In fact, they've, they've just put on trial a Presbyterian American preacher who's over there pastoring a church. And I think he's going to be in jail forever, maybe have his head lopped off. And we don't want that. But those people are disobeying God because God gave him authority to go there. There's no place you're not allowed. Oh, they'll make rules. You can't preach the gospel here. It's government building. I can. I'm just going to choose how and when I do it. You have no right to stop me. You can't pray in school. I can pray anywhere. You can't be proselytizing, telling people about Jesus. You, my friends, have the authority given from God himself. To make friends of Jesus everywhere you go and anywhere you want. The owner of the world says you can. If someone says you can't, you can't share Jesus here, you say, well, the owner of the world says I can. You might get beat up, but hey, it's for Christ. Also, before ascending to heaven, Acts 1.8, Jesus said this, but you will receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in this text, he's saying a similar thing. He's saying, you're going to go tell the ends of the earth about me. But he does it in these concentric circles. You're going to start in Jerusalem, where I am now, where you are now. And you're going to go out to Judea, where all the Jews live, and to Samaria, which is within your country where non-Jews live. But then you're going to go everywhere. Near or far, we're commanded to go. So we're commanded to go to the small towns and villages near our campuses, and we're commanded to go to the ends of the earth, wherever we can. We're not restricted. We've stretched out pretty much in western Pennsylvania and into India. And through partnering with missionaries that we did not send, we're even having an impact in some other places. Where next? We're seeking that out. We're not exactly sure. We have to be strategic. But wherever our feet set down, God has given that to us. Second, not only do we go out in the authority of God, we must go out in the power that comes from the presence of God. God didn't leave Joshua alone or powerless. The way he encouraged Joshua was he says, I am going to beat up the other people for you. That's my words. You read the chapter, the the verses. He said, I am with you. No man can stand. Well, he said, verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will knock them down for you. Just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Well, that's a pretty powerful way to... Moses was an unstoppable man. Avengers, sissies compared to Moses. You you can bring them all. Captain America, the the metal dude, Iron Man, Spider-Man, Hulk. Help me out here. Who's the the black cat? What's he, is he called the black cat? What's he called? Panther, black panther. Black panther, whatever. If they turned on Moses, this old man, and God said, hold up the stick. Boom, that's it. Boom, they're toast. And God says, Joshua, just like I was with Moses, I'm with you. Jericho, first place you go, he knocks the walls down. Boom. You say, well, do we have that promise? Listen, Joshua was sent to do physical battle. In a time and a place, it's never been given permission in the Bible, in the Old Testament or the New, for God's people to simply go around taking stuff over with a sword. There have been religions that came up with that idea and twisted what God said, some in the name of Christ, some in the name of Allah. But we're supposed to go and do something greater, which is harder to do. Take over someone's stuff with a sword or cause a person's soul to be born again. It's the second one. Anyone can, any idiot can kill somebody. But no one has the power to change a person from dead to life except God. Jesus, remember what we... Just read, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the power comes from the presence of God in both cases. 
I will be with you, Joshua. No man stands before you. But here, he's talking to Christians. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. That's all the power you need. But I don't know if I'm going to say it right. And they're going to ask me things I don't understand. And I'm going to shut up and talk. (laughs) Shut up and preach the gospel. (laughs) Quit worrying about what you don't know. Tell them Christ dies for sinners. And that you're one of them. And then you can be saved. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. Holy Spirit is the power and presence of God. We have that. Third thing that we see in Joshua that we should apply today, we must do things God's way. That is, we must be obedient to his word. Well, none of us are perfect, but Joshua wasn't perfect either. But he said, Joshua, I want you to be the sort of man who pays very close. I'm going to be with you and I'm holy. You're going to have to represent me well. There's a book. Moses got started on it. He did book one through five. Tell you what, Josh, you can do book six, and I'll get other people to do the other 60. But you're responsible for book one through five. (laughs) Genesis to Deuteronomy. Remember it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Sleep on it. Wake up on it and do it. Verse seven, be strong and courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. Being careful. Do not turn from it that you may have success. There was one battle that the the Hebrews lost, if you read the book of Joshua. They had just taken over Jericho. It was a cinch. It was the very first city. God told them, when you go through through Israel... People have already built you houses. Go in and live in those houses. And whatever livestock, it's your livestock. Their stuff is your stuff. But that first city is not yours. It's mine. God always demands the first fruit of anything he gives people, including you and I. He says, that city is mine. Tell you what, I'll knock the walls down for you. You just march around it and blow a horn. And they did. But don't you take anything out of it. Well, one dude named Aiken, should have known to be him with a name like Aiken. No one here is named Aiken, right? Or any of the campuses? <laughs> it's unfortunate. He stole some stuff. He saw gold bar and silver, and he's like, it was good stuff. He hid it. His family hid it with him. And they went off to fight this little town. They only sent a few thousand men, and they lost the battle. And Joshua says, God, why do we lose the battle? It pretty much says, to prove a point. You can't let sin in the camp. So God revealed to him, Achan. So Achan and his family were disposed of. Because God is holy. And someone to fear. What do we learn from this? We do have forgiveness of sins through Christ. But grace means forgiveness of sins and a light to guide us on a righteous path. Grace doesn't mean a license to sin now that I'm forgiven. Right? You with me? In your life, how do you use grace? Is it a license to sin or is it the power to walk on a righteous road? To be a disciple of Christ, you have to love one another If you distill what the Bible says in the New Testament, you love one another 
and you walk closely with God and you seek the lost. Walking closely with God means seeking to obey what he says. I could give you a thousand examples of things that may tempt all of us to not do what he says. Many of us immediately go to the sensual. Yes, those are temptations. But there are the attitudinal that are just as tempting. To be angry and hateful towards another human. But you don't know what they did. What does Jesus say? Forgive as you have been forgiven. Which doesn't matter what they did now, does it? Be careful to do all that I said. Obedience. And we live, we live learning this obedience. That's why in, in Matthew 28, again, the same text I read before, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. It's not just learning in your head. It's learning to do what Jesus says. Be careful to do all that I told you. Be obe- we need harvest to be an obedient people. Being very careful to do what the Bible has told us. What you know is right, do it. What you know is wrong, avoid it. When you slip, don't let a second go by before you pay back who you hurt and go to your Lord and ask forgiveness. Fourth, we must courageously risk to accomplish God's work. You know, you think if God asked you to do something, it wouldn't be hard, right? If God asked you to do something, it should be simple, something I've been well-trained for, something I've, you know, it's within my power. If you read the Bible, if you've read the Bible and paid attention, and think through that many times God asked people to do things whether they're hard or easy. You know the story of Gideon? (laughs) For those who don't, you can go read it. For those who do, I'll remind you. He said, (laughs) "Um, you sure you want me for this job? I'm not a warrior. Yes, and you're going to go fight a lot of people. Great, where's my army? Here, but it's way too many people. Let's cut it down to you're like way outnumbered. Take care of that, would you? How about Moses? Um, Walk into Egypt, find the most important man in the country, and say to him, I'm just a dude with a robe, and I smell like sheep, but you got to let all those people go. This will be a cinch. One thing is true throughout time, and my friends, it's true now, is if you're going to serve the Lord, there will be stress. If you're going to serve the Lord, In your personal life, it will cost you. It will drain you. It will cause you to fear. Joshua was afraid. How do we know? Why do you think God, who knows everything, keeps saying, be courageous? Because he's afraid. (laughs) I know you're scared. Don't be. It's easy for you to say you're God. I mean, you don't say that to God, but God, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to them. Be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. What do you think Joshua was? Frightened and dismayed. 
Although, that's why God keeps saying, don't be that. Because I am that. I know, don't be. I got your back. You got this thing. It's no different today. You know, God wants you to reach out to your neighbor. But it's hard. It's hard. (laughs) It's stressful. It's difficult. It's costly. Yeah, it is. You sure this is God talking? Yeah, that's how he does it. He stresses out all his workers, including Jesus. My, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If there's any way we can do this without me drinking this bitter cup, Father, please. This is Jesus. He was stressed. Do you think you're going to have a stress-free ministry and a stress-free life because you work for God? A lot of people really don't know God, and as soon as the stress hits, they prove they don't know him, they peel off. But those who know him, don't be fooled. Satan will tell you it's supposed to be easy. It's not easy. What do we comfort ourselves with when we're trying to get through this life in a godly fashion and it's hard? And we're trying to do good deeds for Christ and it costs us. It's hard. Well, you can't be in the habit of looking for comfort in this life. Everybody listen to me because this is the biggest mistake we make. When it comes to contentment, you cannot be in the habit of thinking you can find comfort in this life when everything is just right. Because there's almost no time everything is just right. And tell me if this isn't true in your mind. For those moments when you think, well, right now everything isn't perfect, but it's pretty good. I can't think of a big problem. Your brain says, be afraid because something bad's going to happen because it can't stay this good long. How many of you have thought that? Well, the fear is false anyway. Comfort doesn't come when everything is just right, when there are no bills and no challenges and no stress. Comfort comes from Christ. Comfort comes from the presence of God. Be strong and courageous. Okay, do I still have to go fight all those bad guys? Yes, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. At the end of the the Great Commission, as we call what I read to you from Matthew 28, where he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me and given to you because he gives it to us. He says, go therefore to all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. But look how he ends it. And I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. But it's hard. I'm there. It's scary. I am right there. And I will be there till the end of the age. Living and working for Jesus will create stress. Obeying Christ and doing it right will cause you stress. I know, this is so far from what makes for good TV ministry. We live in very strange times. And I would say it's not a time for shrinking back. It's time to take ground. It's not a time for being afraid because the world's gone crazy. The world has gone crazy. It's gone nuts out there. How many of you heard of this little baby Alfie who the government of Britain whacked this past week? 
If you haven't, look it up on Google. The government of Britain killed a baby. They watched him starve on purpose. It was horrible. It's horrible. The government of Italy said, we'll make him an honorary citizen. We have a helicopter waiting. We will take him. His parents want him to go, and the government said, no. He's under our medicine system. No. He will die. This is a wacky world. And forget politics. Not talk wackiness. Everyone hating on everybody. Kanye don't know who his friends are. This isn't a time for shrinking back. This is a time to take ground. No matter what the force is against us. Who's with me? Harvest. God is with us. This next initiative is a very human way that we're trying to figure out how to take ground more than we have. We're happy with what we have. We love what we have. We love, I mean, this is a church and it's not perfect, but we're trying and you're trying and I'm trying. We're all trying together. We're loving each other. We're seeking God as best we can. But if it starts to feel safe, and it could here, all we got to do is pull back a little and just enjoy what we got. Then you wonder if you're really putting your feet down in a place God said to put them down. If, if you're not feeling stress anymore in your ministry, maybe you're not doing what God says. We've defined our own mission because humans need a way to go. And it's okay to, to parse out God's plan with your own strategies. The proverb says, man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path. So we're going to plan our steps and let the Lord direct. But in, in your map, this is exact written our mission. This is the one changeable statement we have. We don't want to change that we exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. That's always what we do. We don't want to change that you're supposed to love one another, walk with God, and seek the lost. Until he comes, the Bible says do those. This can change, but this is until God gives us wisdom to go change. This is what we're about. We desire to expand plant and grow elder-led campuses in Pennsylvania while investing in world missions with the goal of or in order to increase the number of believers by getting unbelievers saved or finding believers who don't have a good church that have access to a healthy church. That's our mission statement. The next initiative calls us to risk and reach to get there. Now, if, this, if you missed the last two weeks, I don't mean to leave you in the dark. I cannot review everything we went over. There is a great video online if you would like to sit down and ask questions. And one, actually, a church, a church member pulled me over this week and said, can we get together? I've missed the information. I need more. And we had a nice long talk. Um, and he didn't even have to buy me lunch. Well, he did bring me a coffee, and that was nice. But... We'll work for coffee, you know. We'll All the pastors are like that. Um, <laughs> I want to end by going over this generosity ladder. This is the tool that in a week, we're going to ask everyone to bring back, myself included, and make a commitment. In a week, our goal is to increase the amount of resources we have. Are we back? Our goal is to increase the amount of resources we have to do mission because we are at a point where we've maxed out what we can do with what we have. 
To do that, we're asking people to be more generous, myself included. I've already shared that my family is doubling what we give over the next two years. But on this ladder, and you may not have yours, but I'll read it to you. You have one, two, three, four, five, six spots. We're asking you to do what I've already done and your elders have already done. Your pastors have all done this. Find yourself on that ladder and ask God, between you and God, would you have me move up? All right? The first one is a potential giver. You don't give at all. This could be because you're not committed to harvest. We like people not committed to harvest to be here. If it takes you a year to figure out whether this is your church, take a year. If it takes you one week, take a week, whatever it takes. But once you know it's your church, you've got to move from not giving to giving. Because where your heart is, <laughs> that's where your money is. If you love your church, you're going to help the mission go. You're going to pay. Help pay the electric bill and all the other bills. Help pay for the missionaries. You may say, well, I'm already a spontaneous giver. That's the next step. Giving occasionally. <laughs> if, the, if the whim strikes. But I want to move up to an intentional giver. That's where you regularly give. But less than a tithe. If you're new to Christianity, the tithe may be a new idea. If you're not new, it's not a new idea. Tithe means you take the first tenth of your increase and you give it to the Lord. I'm a firm believer that that is the best place to start. I would give that advice to anyone. I gave it to my kids. They learned it by law. Now they do it by joy because now they're not forced to and they still tithe. I do this. I take the first tenth of my increase just like Jericho belongs to the Lord. The first fruits belong to the Lord. It's my way of worshiping. And if I go to this church, that church, the church down the road, I don't care where I go to the church. If I'm the pastor or if I'm not the pastor, I'm doing that. And I believe, actually I believe if you're in any of these bottom steps, you should get to that step. Even if it's two rungs up. But I'm not going to look over your shoulder or pressure you. It's between you and your God. But if you're there, will you move up to investing giving? Giving above the tithe. That's what my wife and I did. And we doubled that actually. For two years. We'll Reevaluate in two years. I'll let you know then. And then the love giver. Some people can live on nothing and be extraordinary givers. Some are called to be true examples of that. They're just better at it than the rest of us. Or maybe you're blessed more than the rest. For some to, to tithe means sacrifice. For some to tithe, there's no discomfort at all. Maybe God's calling you to be a love giver. What we're asking you to do is join with us to find yourself. None of the money is going to go to a raise for the pastors. All right? So you're not, if anyone says, Mike wants me to give me, him his money, I do want you to give him my money, but that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> we can do that privately. Outside, you can say, here's all my money. I'll take it. I'm, you know, I'm not stupid. But that has nothing to do with the next initiative. If you give it at this church, it doesn't go to me. What I am doing is saying, let's pool our resources together so that we can take more ground. Because ministry always costs. I wish it didn't, but it does. So, if you don't have one of these cards, pick it up on the way out. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. 
For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.